Hello, I'm Alexia, and let me help you to take the fear out of birth with a mix of real-life positive birth stories and birthing experts sharing their wisdom. I'll also be sharing techniques for getting into the fearless birthing mindset. And join the Fearless Mumship community for bonus podcast episodes, access to free birth preparation downloads, and loads more stuff to help you to prepare for a positive birth. Join today at fearfreechildbirth.com. Hello and welcome back to the Fear Free Childbirth Podcast. This is me, your host, Alexia Leachman. Thank you so much for joining me today. Now, on today's show, I'm talking all about placenta encapsulation. Now, this is a thing that I didn't even know existed before I was pregnant. So maybe you are in the same boat. Maybe you're thinking, uh, eating placentas, what is that about? In fact, what is placenta encapsulation? Well, hopefully today's podcast will help you to answer all that. Today, I'm joined on the podcast by two placenta queens, not one, but two placenta queens. I'm joined by Maria Pecluda and Marin Taylor, who run a very successful placenta encapsulation business out in Dallas-Fort Worth in Texas. So today I get to grill them on all things placenta encapsulation so that you can get your head around it and decide whether or not this is something that you might want to consider for yourself. It's very, very interesting and certainly there's a lot of anecdotal evidence that this stuff works. There is not a lot of actual evidence but there's tons of anecdotal evidence as to why you might want to have your placenta whether in a smoothie form or in capsules and it's all around the postpartum feelings about making you feel better postpartum and for me that is can only be a good thing so that is what today's episode is all about now before I hand over to that chat I've got a couple of things I just want to run through with you if you haven't been listening for the past few weeks where have you been well I've been going on about this the fearless birth prep challenge that starts very very soon. This is for you if you are pregnant and you want help just cutting through all the stuff out there that might confuse you when it comes to preparing for your birth. So getting clear on what you want for your birth and basically cutting through all the overwhelm, getting past all the fear stuff and really getting good to a place where you're feeling pretty calm and really confident about your birth. So I'm going to take you through over five days to help you to really get to a calm and confident place about your birth. If you want to join me, then you can. All you need to do is go to fearfreechildbirth.com forward slash challenge and you can be there with me and I will hold your hand and help you to get to a nice confident place about your birth. So that kicks off on June the 12th. So not long now. And if you know any other women who are pregnant, maybe in your antenatal class, then invite them to join us on the challenge. The more the merrier. So yeah, that is the challenge that is kicking off in a few weeks now. And then otherwise it's all happening in the Fear Free Childbirth Facebook group. So if you're not in the Fear Free Childbirth Facebook group, then do come and join us. We've got some interesting little chats going on in there. There's somebody posted one yesterday about sex drive and libido. And there's a few people answering. So, you know, how your sex drive changes when you're pregnant and you go from, you know, raging and wanting it all the time to suddenly just not being interested. So if there's anything that you've got to say about sex drive and libido during pregnancy, then come and join us in the Fear Free Childbirth Facebook group. Right, that's it for now. Now I'm just going to hand over to my chat with Maria Pocluda and Marin Taylor, who are both placenta queens, to talk all about placenta encapsulation and placenta smoothies. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Fear Free Childbirth podcast, Maria and Marin. Thank you so much for joining me today. We are thrilled to be here. Now, um, for my listeners, I'm speaking to two placenta queens 
who are based in Dallas, Fort Worth. So um, now I don't want to say anything more than that. I would just much prefer you guys to introduce yourselves. So Maria, please tell us a little bit about yourself, how you came to do what you do and what you're doing today. Sure, absolutely. Um, I was primarily a doula. I've been a doula for close to 10 years. And probably about five years ago, I learned to do placentas basically because my clients were getting it done and there wasn't a good way to get it to get it done in our area. So I learned how to, to do a placenta with a client. That was the very first time I'd seen a placenta kind of up close and personal. And so um, after I'd done a few clients' placentas, I started working for a birth center um, doing postpartum services. And one of the things that they asked me to do was all the placentas for the women that came through that birth center that wanted the service. So I started doing placentas that way. Um, last year, maybe a year and a half ago, I hooked up with Marin, who you'll meet in just a second, and the laws concerning placenta encapsulation changed in our state and kind of opened this huge opportunity to not just work with women who were birthing out of hospital, but to get the placentas from women that were birthing in hospitals. And so we created DFW Placenta, and it's been an amazing, um, it's been an amazing year and a half. We've done tons of placentas. It, it's a huge business here. Wow. So Marin, tell us who you are. The other placenta queen. <laughs> so um, I am not a doula. I actually have a birth pool sales and rental business. And one of the things that I would often see when I went to pick up birth pools from people was the dad's to-do list. And it would have call the birth pool lady, call the placenta lady, call you know the postpartum doula. It had this long list of services that dad was supposed to handle after baby was born. And I thought, gosh, it would be nice if I could add placenta services so that there was one less call for people to make. And at the same time, the laws in Texas were changing about um, access to placentas. So kind of where we came from was, it was illegal. There was nothing about it. And so hospitals just kind of made up their own rules. So if you had a home birth or a birth center birth, you could definitely get your placenta, but at hospitals, you sometimes couldn't. And so um, for 2016, the law changed, like Maria said, requiring hospitals to release placentas to women. And so this just became a great opportunity to not only do this for my birth pool clients, but to work with Maria to offer placenta services across Dallas-Fort Worth. Wow. So up until that point, then women couldn't get their placentas back. Is that what you're saying? It varied by hospital. So you could go to one hospital on one side of town and they were like, sure, here's your placenta. You'd go to another one and they would only release it to a funeral home and you'd go to another one and they'd be like, no, we're not going to give you your placenta. No way, no how. Wow. So, and sometimes it depended on your nurse that day. So there was just no consistency. You just okay. never knew. So now uh, all women have the right in your state to have their placentas given back to them. Yes. As long as they don't have an infectious disease, they have the right to their placenta. Okay. And do they have to let the hospital know beforehand that they want their placenta or can they decide afterwards? I mean, you know, what, what's the protocol there? They can decide at any point as long as the placenta is still available to them. So most hospitals are having them sign a release form when they ask for it. But um, other than that, some women decide while they're in labor and they call us saying they've just decided to encapsulate their placenta. Other people make reservations months in advance. So right. There's planners and there's non-planners. So. Okay. So so from the top then, just first of all, like at the beginning, in terms of placenta, for those people listening, thinking, what on earth are these women doing? 
tell me what on earth. So for somebody that's never really heard of placenta encapsulation, just sort of run it from the top for those that really haven't got a clue what you do and what we're talking about. Yeah, sure. So placenta encapsulation is thought to have lots of benefits for moms. And of course, we have to give the disclaimer that we're not medical providers and none of our advice is um, approved by the FDA and, you know, kind of all those standard um, things. But the moms that we encapsulate for report things like more breast milk, um, that they have more balanced feelings, that they report um, feeling less moody after birth, um, that they have more energy, more energy. That's a big one. So moms report lots of great benefits from it. And so um, what we do is we pick up the placenta from wherever mom has given birth. So we provide them actually with a a cooler and instructions and we do 24 seven pickup and um, we turn their placenta into capsules. I mean, it ends up looking like a nutritional supplement. And so um, there's really um, nothing that the mom needs to do. It, it's definitely not gross or weird. They just have their nurse pack it up in a cooler and then we take care of the entire process and then return the pills to them once they're ready. So the product that they receive looks like they're getting a bottle of pills that you might find at the store. And how long does that, that process take you guys to, to do that so you can come back to them with their pills? It's typically about 48 hours from the time we get it. It takes um, the actual processing part it needs to dry for anywhere 18 ish hours and then we have to encapsulate it. So we're running right at about two days after delivery, typically if we receive it right after delivery. Okay. And, and I don't know whether there is any sort of evidence or research around this, but is there, cause I'm sure there's some people that would love to know. I mean, a lot of people, women report feeling different, but has anybody done any research in this area? Sadly, the research is is lacking. Um, this is something we always say, like, why is there not more research on this? There has been some recent research um, about iron content that was released this year. There's some studies from the 90s. Um, actually, the British Journal of Midwifery did a really nice article a few years ago on the benefits. Um, I use that article a lot to talk to people. So there is some, but it's just not something that people have studied in depth. Um, and there's so many factors revolving perinatal mood disorders and how breastfeeding affects hormones and postpartum affects hormones. Um, unfortunately, we just haven't, we don't have the answers in research. We have, we have some of the answers surrounding the question, but we don't have all of them. And so, but women don't really seem to be bothered that there's no research. They seem to be going in their droves anyway, don't they? Based on how it seems that your business has exploded in the last 18 months or so. Is that right? Yes. I mean, women want answers. No one wants to have postpartum depression or anxiety. Um, they're looking for a solution. And what's out there has not has not been the answer for them for whatever reason. And so women talk. And it's easy for science to kind of say, well, there's no evidence, so therefore it, it's not okay. But women are sharing their stories. They're telling each other. They're putting it on the internet. They're posting on Facebook and Instagram. I, you know, I ate my placenta. There's celebrities who are sharing their stories. And people aren't trying to be like the celebrities necessarily. They just hear them say, this works. Mm. And women hear that and they want to, they want something that works. So how do they, what I'm really curious to hear is how do women know that it works? Like how, like how do they, like if they were, if they weren't taken, like, how can you kind of test two different realities that, you know, is it like they, they might on, on day three, say you turn up the pills 
And up until that point, they were feeling a bit shaky. And then once they have them, they, they suddenly feel better. Or are they comparing one birth to another birth? Or how do they know or feel so confident that this is actually helping them? I think it's for a lot of our clients, it's from one birth to the next. We are a lot of people say, I experienced these difficulties after my first birth, and I'm looking for a solution this time. And it's inexpensive enough that I'm willing to give it a try. Mm. And I think those are our most powerful testimonials mm. because those moms have had problems and, you know, have had problems in the past and report something different this time. And I think a lot of our first time mothers that maybe don't have a previous experience to share, some of them considered insurance. They don't know if they're going to have um, postpartum issues. But like Marin said, it's a it's a cheap enough way to kind of have some insurance. Like, I'm going to take this just in case. And if they don't have issues, they'll never know if it was the pills or their, yeah. or if they wouldn't have had issues, but they've kind of covered their bases. And yeah. so that makes them feel more confident during their postpartum. Do you think there might be a bit of a placebo thing going on there? Like, you know, I'm taking this, therefore I should be okay. But how much of it though, if we're going to call it the placebo effect, how much of it though is that um, they're coming to us with a concern, we're acknowledging their feelings we're handling that situation in a respectful and delicate manner and then providing them back with a beautiful package. Um, we really have focused on our packaging and what it looks like to get this back. So maybe it's not necessarily just the pills as a, you know, if you want to say the pills are a placebo effect, what if it's also some of the difference in their feelings are about respectful treatment mm. and honoring how their concern they may feel during the postpartum period. Yeah. And the, that postpartum period is is a special time. It's a different time than pregnancy. It's a different time than kind of general motherhood, that those days and weeks and months following having a baby mm. are, are special. So, yes, the the part of the placenta can be a part of, of honoring that part of a woman's journey. And so how long would a woman need to take her placenta capsules for? So generally women have enough capsules to take them for six weeks or so after birth. And then maybe they have a few that they tuck away for use later. One of the things that we also suggest to our clients, it's our favorite add-on service, is a tincture, which is made kind of like vanilla is made. Um, we put a little piece of placenta in alcohol and we let it sit for six weeks or longer to infuse the alcohol with the nutrients from the placenta. And then that gives women a remedy that they can take for the rest of their lives. Oh, wow. And that doesn't that doesn't go bad. So people will use it um, sometimes when their cycles return. We've heard about people saving it for menopause. I haven't actually talked to anyone who's done that. <laughs> but um, eventually our clients will get there and maybe they'll let us know how that works. So Wow. Okay. So, um, so they could take, so they might take the tincture, for example, if they're just feeling a bit low or if they're having a bit of a bad PMT moment or anything like that. Is that what you're suggesting? That kind of thing? Yes, exactly. Wow. Okay, okay. So what about placenta smoothies? Do you do placenta smoothies? We do. Okay, yes. perfect. So talk to me about placenta smoothies because I, I, you know, when I hear about that, I just suddenly get a bit, oh, you know, I love smoothies, don't get me wrong, but I, I'm a bit squeamish, I have to say. So I'm just, you know, curious as to, you know, do you actually make the whole smoothie? Do you just give them bits of it so they make their smoothie? Talk me through that bit. So we take a piece of their placenta and blend it and freeze it into little... I, I'm holding like, my finger up, but that probably doesn't help on a podcast. Little like it looks like a Godiva chocolate. 
It's about that size. That's a good one. We do, we wrap it in chocolate paper and, um, uh, and then we provide those frozen so that, um, you can just unwrap it and drop it into your smoothie and blend it in. We hear from women that it doesn't taste like it doesn't affect the taste of the smoothie. So, um, we don't make the actual smoothies though. And normally women tend to do things like blueberries and things, don't they? Just to kind of disguise what they're yep. doing. Don't they trick the mind? Because, <laughs> yeah, there's a bit of a psychological, I don't know, like, personally, I would struggle with this. I think capsules makes it a little bit easier for me to kind of get my head around. But I think it's smoothie. But, yeah, a lot of women say it's no big deal. And actually, just do it. Just drink it. You know, the benefits are there. So, I don't know. Like, But for you guys, actually, the first time that you did a placenta, how was that? Gosh, I'm not even sure I remember my first placenta tea. <laughs> it's been so long and I've done so many. Marion has not been doing it as long. Yeah, I definitely remember mine. I remember the mom that it's for. She and oh, our friends on Facebook. Oh, wow. and I'm baby. <laughs> That's so sweet. So um, I won't say her name, but I hope that she's listening and I hope that she knows that I think about her. You know, I got it and I was in training at the time to become a certified encapsulator. And I just remember being so amazed that this had just been born that, I mean, this baby was just a few hours old when I got the placenta. Um, it just was so unlike anything that I had seen before. And I felt very honored that this mom would trust me with this. Um, you just have one. Yeah. And so I just remember feeling very concerned that I would do this correctly for her. I really wanted to do a good job. Um, they're really interesting. Everyone is different. So it was really fun after months and months of um, certification training to finally get my hands on one and take a look at it and see all of the variations that we had talked about in our classes. So it was it was a really interesting evening for me. Mm. And I, I do get struck at any time by the you know you just talked about you know this is such an incredible organ that the kind of the 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 honor that you just talked about the the fact that this this organ has sustained the baby and it is such so symbolic and so spiritual in so many ways so you kind of get struck by that at all with the work that you're doing oh absolutely um yeah. we've seen a lot of placentas but it is not uncommon that almost every day one of us will be dealing with the placenta and be like oh my gosh Marin, you should come see this it's so cool um that happens all the time because every single one has something interesting and we look at the placenta and if we most most of the time we don't know anything about the woman who grew that placenta and we'll sit there and be like you know I wonder what kind of birth she had and I hope it was you know I hope it was a great birth and wow she grew a nice healthy placenta so so what does a nice healthy placenta look like so I remember at my second birth my home wife <laughs> said how my placenta looks so juicy and flat and fleshy and pink and I was like oh because there was all this debate about whether my baby was late she's like oh there's no way that your baby's late this is too pink and juicy and fleshy and I was like oh okay so I'm just curious you know in terms of uh placentas like what does what does a good placenta look like I, I assume that when they were talking about your placenta they were they might have been saying it didn't have any calcifications just okay. because if you were past your due date um I don't know there's lots of ways for a placenta to look healthy um but you know they have a certain thickness that you would expect um, and thick kind of uniformly all the way through. Occasionally we'll get a placenta that's really thin around the edges, um, which is interesting, but I probably wouldn't be like, oh, that looked super healthy. But the fact of the matter is any placenta that had a healthy baby was a healthy placenta. It did its job um, and it should be honored as doing such. Yeah. So when you say a healthy placenta or a pretty placenta, it, that's kind of a 
don't know. It's an encapsulator's way of just saying it was a nice looking placenta. I don't know. Yeah. It's really funny to try to describe that. Some will have really pretty vein designs. And so, or the veins are really well defined and you can see mm. that tree of life look. I don't know if yeah. you've seen that. The tree of life oh. does look striking, doesn't it? Do you see that on, on most placentas? Is that a really common thing or is that quite unusual? Um, it's very common. I mean, obviously the veins are more defined in some and occasionally you get cords that aren't right in the middle. But yeah, I, the tree of life, if we hold it up, would would definitely look like most placentas. One thing too that I always like when we look at placentas is we'll turn it in the orientation that it would have been in the mother. And then you can hold the bag up and see where the mm-hmm. baby's head broke through the bag. Oh, wow. It's really fun to hold that up and see, oh my gosh, this is the space that the that the baby was in. It always astounds me at how small it yeah. is. Those holes in the bags are really small generally. And I think it's also very cool when we can find the yolk sack. Which, oh, yeah. Um, What's the yolk sack? So that is where the baby started. It's just that very early um, during embryology where it it started and it's very small. We don't see it in every placenta. It almost looks like a little white fleck or maybe even a piece of vernix somehow. Um, It's about that size. And it's like, oh, that's where it all began with that yolk sac. Wow. Gave nutrition to the baby in the early days. So earlier, Marin, you were talking about the sac. You were referring to the amniotic sac, weren't you? Where the baby's living and how, yeah, okay. Um, now, now think about more practical issues. At what point does, when does a mum decide that she uh, wants her placenta encapsulating? Or when can she decide to, you know, how late can she leave it? Like, when does she decide about these things? For a while, we got a lot of calls and we would ask, is your placenta inside or outside? Because (laughs) we were, especially in the early days of the law, when women weren't sure if they would really get their placentas, um, we got a lot of last minute calls from women. And so, I mean, as long as it's been stored properly, we can we can take it at any point. I mean, I like it when people make reservations early because we do send out that transportation kit to them so that they have proper packaging for the hospital. Okay. They don't. The nurses can help them get it packaged up in such a way that we can still pick it up safely, and we'll just put it in our own cooler when we get there. So if they basically book you in advance, then you'll send them a little cooler box, and they'll have that with them, whether it's a home birth or birthing center or in the hospital. Which means that when they get their placenta, they can just pack it all up, and then you guys just pick it up. But if they don't plan it in advance, then then hopefully the nurse will help them pack it up in some way, and then they can just hand it over to you, and you just pick it up in that way. Is that right? Right. Okay. I mean, if they put any thought into it, they may have brought a cooler. Um, But otherwise, yes, there's there's all kinds of containers at the hospital that we can suggest that they put ice in and put the placenta in. So we can manage either way. And occasionally we'll get a call from someone whose placenta has been in their freezer. Um, That's considered proper storage. So we can then encapsulate from a frozen placenta okay okay and so i meant when we were chatting before we came on mic do you get people that call you it sounded like you do but i'm just checking that people calling you during birth or during labor going hey i really yeah do you we do i mean typically they're in early labor and okay. transition but... yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i was gonna say you know this could be excuse me while i just call my placenta encapsulator <laughs> so yeah we'll get those calls um i had a call last week from a woman who was in labor and we did have to stop for her to have a contraction like as the conversation <laughs> went on as we got the, the placenta reservation set so it does happen um we call those drop-ins we love it we love when women decide to do it even if it's last minute 
And so um, what about sharing your placenta capsules? Can you do that? Could you like, could the whole family have some? Or is it really just for the mom? <laughs> well, I feel like most families wouldn't want to do that, but we're a big no on that. So okay. we do not suggest that you share your placenta uh, products with other family members or friends. Yeah. So Now, in terms of if, if anybody is thinking about having their placenta encapsulated, is there anything that I should have asked, but I haven't asked because I simply don't know what I'm talking about, that you think they need to know? I mean, we get questions about safety. How, you know, is it safe? Obviously, our answer is yes. When people aren't sure... I think that's a big one. People will call and say they're just not sure if they want to do it or not. And so if they say that they're unsure, we always remind them that one option is get somebody to take it home and pop it in your freezer. Because if in a week or so you think, man, I really wish I had done that, you can't get it back once it's gone. So if if it's in your mind at all, go ahead and save it, stick it in the freezer so that you do have that option down the road. And then if you decide not to, you can bury it you know, plant it with a tree, you can put it out with the trash, but you can't ever get it back. Mm. I think that's one big mm. thing. I think also just um, choose your encapsulator carefully. There's okay. not standardized training. There's um, not, there's not. Anyone can call themselves a placenta encapsulator. It's not a licensed. Is that in the U.S. you're referring to? Yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. So there are training organizations here that provide excellent training and safety standards for people to follow. And if you're going to look for an encapsulator, I would look for somebody that's had some of that training because um, we do food safety training. We do sanitation training. Um, we do bloodborne pathogen pathogen training. So I just, I feel like those things are important enough. Again, you only have one placenta and you really want it done right. So for somebody thinking about doing this, what kind of costs do they need to be thinking about when having when thinking about getting their placenta encapsulated then what, what we talk and I realize it's going to be a huge variation around the world but roughly speaking what are we talking here right that's a good question because depending on where you are geographically the market value may be different so I hate to throw a price out there um, when it's so different and your audience is all over the world but you should expect to pay a professional fee for a professional product. So if you're looking at someone to encapsulate your placenta and their fee is much less than others or much more, um, that might be a concern. Yeah. So the range is generally, let's say, again, with great geographical variance, somewhere between, say, two to five hundred dollars. I would say a big clue about what's appropriate to pay is, is look at some people that are trained and certified and look at what they're charging. And if you see someone that's charging a lot less, I would wonder why. Because we have done the cost of what it takes us to handle things with proper temperature controls and um, with proper sanitation. And we know kind of what that should cost. And so I, I would say look in your market. But two to $500, I think, is kind of a fair range for encapsulation. Mm. And so I guess when you think about the benefits that women are saying that they get, which is better mood, better postpartum experience, then that really does feel like quite a low amount when you think about what the alternative might be for that woman, isn't it? I absolutely think so. Yes. So um, in terms of, you know, if people do choose to keep their placentas then and honor it maybe in some way, do you know, are people doing anything really interesting with their placentas if people did want to honor their placenta in any way? Yes, they are. I mean, Different cultures have different traditions surrounding placentas, but um, I can think of one of my clients. Uh, she was a doula client, and she's had several children. And with each one, she saved her placenta, and she plants a um, she 
puts it in her backyard and then they bought a tree and planted a tree over um, where the placenta is buried. And every year they take a picture of their child in front of their tree. And so I've kept up with her through the years. And so it's, it's great to see a picture of this child every year as they get a little bigger. Of course, the tree has outgrown um, the child in most cases. So what's really interesting is they actually moved about a year ago and they dug up their three trees <laughs> <laughs> and brought them to the new house. Um, so that was kind of an interesting thing, but I think that's a lovely tradition that kind of. That is a lovely tradition. It, I love that. It, it honors the placenta, but it, it's also a really nice from a parenting perspective to have this picture of your child growing by the tree every year. So yeah. that was a nice. No, that's lovely. The other thing too is a lot of our clients opt to have their umbilical cord dried when we dehydrate their placenta. And so we'll shape it into a heart or sometimes if it's really long, we'll spell the baby's name. Um, but that's also kind of a, a neat one, I mm-hmm. think, because you can see the, can see the veins can in see the, the vessels. Yeah, yeah. It, it's really, I think that can be a really fun and special keepsake for people too. My little one, my second little one was born in the sack. And a lot of people afterwards asked me whether I'd kept the sack and whether I'd done, and I, was, and I didn't realise at the time that being born on call was such a big deal. And I didn't even ask to keep it or anything. And I really regret not learning more about on call births before my birth so that I could have asked to keep it. And, you know, in case my kids wanted to be fishermen or something like that. And right. Could, yeah, you know. They say it keeps you safe at sea. Exactly. Um, other, yeah. other beliefs believe that any baby girl that was born in call would be, would be the future midwife. Um, I've oh, read really? a lot of Cool. Yeah, I've read a lot of. There were a lot of, I don't want to say superstitions, but ideas surrounding the babies that were born this way. Yeah. So that's pretty cool that yeah, you have a child. Apparently the, um, apparently the... But I don't think you have to need to keep the sack to make the rituals come true. No, no, no. But I think it would have been quite nice to know that that would have been a thing I could have done. I didn't even kind of... Because when the, the midwives are like, oh, your baby girl's such a special little girl. And I thought, well, I'm sure they said that to all mums, you know. <laughs> I didn't realise that there was a reason that she'd actually said that to me. And, and then later it was too late for me to have acted or done anything about it. So, um, yeah. So, but yeah, it would have been nice. It would have been nice. I don't... Maybe I wouldn't want to keep it. I know that when my uh, kids have gone to the reptile centre and they've taken a, you know, the skin from a snake and then they've kept it at home. And I was like, that can go right in the bin. <laughs> so I'm not sure I would have kept my own call in the same way at home. But anyway, that's maybe some people would do that. So anyway, anyway. So it's been utterly fabulous chatting to you, Maria and Marin today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, so if anybody listening is living in Texas, then where can they find you, ladies? Where's your website? Where can they find out more about you? We are super easy to find. Our website is www.dfwplacenta.com. So what about social media? Where can people find you on social media? We are at DFW Placenta on Facebook, on Instagram. We're Dallas-Fort Worth Placenta on Google+. And we're at DFW Placenta on Twitter. I'll have all the links on the show notes if anybody wants to chase you down on social media. Now, just a quick question about your Instagram account. Are you taking loads of pictures of your placentas and putting them through that Instagram account? Is that what people that can expect to see? That is such a fabulous question. We never show placentas in our marketing. Really? Really. Is there a reason for that? We are much more excited to share pictures of our clients' cute babies and of our beautiful products and of the things that we have going on in our lives and in our business than pictures of placentas there are lots of places you can go online and see pictures of placentas if that's something that you're interested Mm. in 
but um, there's only really one place that you can see kind of what we're up to and, and what our clients are up to. Fair enough. And honestly, part of it is just really respecting our clients' privacy. Um, they may or may not want a picture of their placenta shared on social media as part of our marketing. So we respect that and we, we don't put that yeah, out there. Yeah. Well, it's very private and, and it's just, yeah, it's very, you're honoring something very precious. So I completely understand that as well. So that's respect to the placenta. So, well, thank you ladies for joining me on the Fear Free Childbirth podcast. It's an absolute pleasure having you on board. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed listening to Maria and Marin talking all about placenta encapsulation. Now, before you go, just a quick reminder about the Fearless Birth Prep Challenge that kicks off in a few weeks. If you want to register and join in the challenge, then you need to go to fearfreechildbirth.com forward slash challenge. And just to recap, it's a five day challenge for pregnant mamas to help you to cut through all the confusing stuff on Google and prepare for your birth using five essential steps that will help you to get the important stuff done so that when you come out of it, you feel confident about your birth. So if you want to join me on the challenge, it starts on June the 12th. You register at fearfreechildbirth.com forward slash challenge. Until next time, bye for now. You've just been listening to me, Alexia Leachman, here on the Fear Free Childbirth Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Now, this is just a wee reminder that if you'd like to listen to bonus podcast episodes and have access to loads of birth preparation downloads, my video mini-series on reducing your fears and so much more, then join the Fearless Mamaship community today. You can join at fearfreechildbirth.com. Until next time, bye for now.